This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Lots of chat and interesting guests to come over the next couple of hours. And I suppose at the start of today's show, it's time for reflection for myself. Because you see, it's 10 years since I first interviewed Robert Pye on Late Lunch. Yes, it was 2009 and with the Irish economy in freefall, the former Department of Finance official revealed how he had raised a red flag. But nobody has had listened as he foretold the crash long before it happened. Robert was subsequently relieved of his duties, you know that famous phrase, and has found it difficult at times to have his story and worldviews aired, save for his appearances with, with us here on Late Lunch. And I'm delighted to welcome him back today. Robert, good to see you again. Hi, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. I can't believe it's 2009 and you've been here with me on a number of occasions subsequently. Yes. Uh, but w- when you think back that decade and what happened to you and when you were asked, was it as simple as that? They, they arrived in and said, Robert, goodbye. In effect, yes. I was literally put out of my office and then I was trans- taken out of my job, transferred to a different building, remote from uh, the main area, put in a room on, on my own, not given any work, and left there for, for a year. That's akin to being taken to a, det- a detention centre and it's, being... Um, very similar, kind of a gulag, you know, the civil service gulag. Um, at the, after a year, my doctor said to me, look, Robert, you're, you're bearing up, but this isn't going to do you any good. I strongly recommend you retire. So I was basically forced out. A year? Hmm. Interrogation, or what you call, and they put people through this. So... Look, I'm familiar that, with that from another aspect of my life in another organisation. Really, that's what they do. They put you out there and after a while... They just wait for you to die or <laughs> vanish. Uh, Go away. Because okay. they, they've no other way of dealing with it, you see. And all this because you were the one, and I come back to this again, who said, hold on here, a disaster is imminent in the economy. Yes. 
Um, at the start of 2004, uh, my wife came into a bit of money and she said to me, Robert, would you invest this for me? So I said, I know nothing about the markets. So I did some reading. And the more I read, the more I had to read because what was really happening in the world economy and what the official line stated was happening was very different. There were things going on that people were not being told. The way the world banking system was being operated, massive imbalances in credit, misallocation of uh, credit. Um, I wrote several papers. I think it was um, seven papers in all, in 04 and 05, uh, with a lot of analysis in them. In my own time, wrote them up, a lot of detail, and I gave them to senior officials in the Department of Finance, trying to urge them to hold a workshop or review what they are doing, because this policy is going to do immense harm. I even uh, gave us the title for the last paper in 05. I said, by end 2008, there will be a world banking crisis, which is what happened. And if we have that, we'll have bank crashes. It'll be an absolute disaster for Ireland. And they didn't want to know? They did not want to know. Nobody engaged me. Because you were pouring... I wasn't giving the government line. It's as simple as that. What and the politicians wanted, the politicians got. Since then, I've done further research into the banking crash. I wasn't called before the banking tri- tribunal, which I should have been, obviously. Um, but I made two submissions. In one of them, I give the background to how they turned off the alarm system that protected the public from a crash in the banking system. That paper was never released. The tri- tribunal never released that. Why? The, the other paper is released. Why? I was never informed. Was it too explosive? Would it have, yes, would it it would. have outed people? Individuals? It would have... Had the public realised what was going on, that this was a setup. And this, my paper, just gives a factual account based on documents available online. Um, I show how they turned the banking alarm system off. And that has never come to light? No, because any review that was authorised by the government was to commence around 2001. The, really, the critical period was from when Fianna Fáil came in in 97 to 2001. That's when the alarm system was turned off. Did they turn it off? Was it them? Was it yes. their call? Yeah. They broke you. That's what they did with that year. They put you out and left you on your own. And oh, yes. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I thought about whether I should do it or not. How much should I say? Well, I was trying over the four years. I have to say, over the four years, I learned a lot about the way the world banking system works, the economic policies pursued in the States, the um, Federal Reserve the central bank system. 
and I found things that made absolutely no sense because not only in the midst of this was Ireland going to get hammered, but the target is to bring down the USA, which is not what people ordinarily think about. But that was quite obvious to me from what I was reading. Who wants to bring it down? The people who want the New World Order. Are they still there? They're still there. The New World Order, This everything you're seeing happening today in the banking system, in Brexit, the Trump tariffs, Iran, Korea, all that is planned by the New World Order to bring about a global crisis, a world crisis, where people will actually demand a world government. That's what they want. They want a world government, but they can't impose it. So the way to do it is create such a crisis or a jumble of crises that people say, look, this isn't working. Sovereign nations aren't working. Uh, Money in your pocket, banking doesn't work. So we'll have an electronic currency, a world bank, a world government. And they're also working on a world re religious system so people would believe what they're told to believe it'll be based on tolerance who are they I ask who you are again th- yes I know people asking who are they well think think about it think of the ultra rich 500 years ago people who ran the banks in Europe um, in Venice uh, Milan Vienna all these places they were exceedingly rich even by our modern standards. And they are basically an anti-Christian group. Okay? Think of it in biblical terms. Much easier to follow what's happening if you can see it in terms of those who accept the order that the Lord has created and those who hate it. Well, these guys hate it. Okay? And they want to run the earth their way. And to do that, they do need a world government. Now, they have an awful lot of control, as it is, because they're staggeringly wealthy. Staggeringly wealthy. And these are the successors of these those These are people. the successors. This runs through families. So these ultra-rich families, who are always behind the scenes, they let, let a, one or two out in the front, Rockefellers, Rothschild, but there are a, a large number of them. They would reckon, those who studied it, they'd reckon there between 300 and 500 of these families. But they are exceedingly wealthy. And they work the system so that huge sums of money flow into their pockets. So can a fellow like Bill Gates, for example, who is uh, regarded as the wealthiest man in the world, or one of them, be part of this? Bill Gates is, but he isn't wealthy in the sense that these guys are wealthy. These guys could hire Bill Gates to mow, mow their front front lawn, you know, or look after one of their many villas. I, I mean, Bill Gates is late to the, to the game, but he is working for them. He worked on the whole cyber scene because they want to standardise the world operating system that people use so you can easily get access to it. You can turn it off if you want to. You can eavesdrop if you want to. That's what it's about in the cyber world. He's also involved in, I would say you'd have to call it a population control program, sterilization in Africa by stealth. 
Um, how do you say that or how do you justify that? How can you say that about that man? You know what I mean? Like, well, let's say, this is why I tend to prefer not to talk about individuals, individuals yeah. because yeah. individuals because we don't know that really, are do plausible. Yeah, yeah. Okay? We, it's a theory you have. We it's, don't know it's that. A, it's a theory. Yeah. Oh, okay, fine. If that, Think just in terms of a nameless... You would mention it, so I had to comment. Yes, but, but we can't uh, gen- say that. Generally, we, we want to make it clear that we can't say that about Bill Gates because no. that's, we don't know that. Okay. Right? okay, about him individually. That's fine. But what I will say is that there are people who are following this policy. They had... If you read some of the writings of the late 19th century of the inter- intellectuals in Britain, Cambridge, Oxford, mm. um, genocide was high on their list eugenics, population control. You see, if you're going to create a world government, you need to control the number of people who are in the world. And they would often boast, well, wars are great, but they don't get rid of enough people. Hmm. So they are in the process. They do, they'd like a sterilization program. And this has been happening in countries like Kenya, Uganda, uh, by putting hormones into vaccines and try to sterilise. But it's at the early stage. Um, the world, Even though the, they say the world population will hit, what is it, so many billion in the next 20, 30 years? Well, left uh, to run on its own, but they don't want that to happen because they would lose uh, control over what's happening. If you have too many people, it's harder to uh, control. Ideally, they want, and they said this, about 500 million to a billion most of them living in cities, most of them not having cars, or if they have cars, it's around town. So dare I suggest that this whole uh, global warming argument yeah. and what's happening in the planet, yeah, global we're warming moving towards is, Global warming is a marvellous scam. Now, these guys are so rich, they can buy scientists who will put out the data that they want. Do you believe that? Oh, absolutely. Global warming is complete and so do you, nonsense. So do you agree with Trump? You know, Trump says it's nonsense. Well, uh, you know, Trump is playing for them, but uh, he is actually right on that. Yeah. Despite, Robert, like they talk about the rising sea levels, the melting of the ice caps, you know. Like, the melting of the glaciers? Yes. They aren't melting. <laughs> rising sea, sea levels, have you noticed? Have you gone down to any of the beaches in Ireland recently? Please, this is all nonsense. So you honestly believe that we are being spun this? We are being spun this. For a particular reason? Yes. They want you to see, they can argue to you, you must cut down on your methane levels, okay? So that means you must cut down on cattle, livestock. So you get a vegetarian society. Much easier to control a vegetarian society. You can cut down the output of the major nations like, you know, Germany, the States, Canada and so on, Britain, by saying you have a target to meet, a carbon footprint target. I mean, this is all garbage. It's complete nonsense. And they talk about global warming gases, but the greatest global warming gas is called water or vapour, by far. And they can't control that. So they can't control global warming. It's utterly impossible. And it isn't happening. So, so They are I, messing with the data. They've even tried to 
uh, maintained that certain well-known phenomena in the past never happened. One of these is the famous uh, medieval maximum, when Europe was very much warmer than it is uh, today. That was around 1100 to 1300. And writings of the time speak about this. They were growing grapes and making wine in Ireland, you know. Um, and then came what they call the maunder minimum, which is when temperatures fell well below the average. And, you know, the Thames was freezing over and so on. That was around the period, roughly 1500 to 1700, 1750. Uh, so they did happen, but they couldn't have been caused by anything that mankind did. But so you see this, going back to something, I, I want to come back to a point you made there. A population of what in the world? What's the figure you put in it? Eight billion at the moment, but they want to bring it down to one. To a billion? A billion. And no, they actually state this. You know, David Attenborough states this. A number of their people say it. I'm not saying anything on this show that you can't go and verify online. OK, so this move away from diesel and petrol and getting everyone electrified and living in, in cities and that is, is for a purpose. It, it is. It, it, control. Social control. And, and, and how do you say, Robert, why, how can you explain to me, how do vegetarians, how does a vegetarian based diet enable you to control people more easily than if you're a carnivore? Oh, it's well known that a meat-eating society is much more active. Yeah. This is, this is a well-known well fact. Look at India. Mm. A vegetarian society. So, so There's over a billion people there, but you wouldn't notice mm. because they don't do anything that the world sees because they're not active. A, a vegetarian society does create a very passive... A uh, question uh, from a listener. Does Robert for fact know that the glaciers aren't melting? So we're being told all the time well, about so this. They vary a lot, um, but some of them are getting bigger. You know, uh, there's also something else that people need to take a account of, and people mention it to me. They say, but how do you account for the huge amount of rainfall in some places and the massive droughts in others? These guys long ago learned you heat the atmosphere. There are rivers in the sky. Okay, there's a river system above us carrying the vapours and the water around the earth, right? And these guys have learned if you hit a certain part of that system, you can move the river. So you can cause huge rainfall, excessive rainfall in areas that didn't previously get it. And areas that did get it are not getting the rain, rainfall. It's a huge microwave array and they have a number of them. There are patents for this actual patents. It's also known that a number of countries have a treaty between themselves that they wouldn't use weather weapons. These are weather weapons. And they began to use them around the, in the 1970s. They've become better still. They have a much better knowledge now of how the sky river system works. And they've they've more arrays out there now. So it's easier to do it. So this is being manipulated or driven by the New World Order. The New oh. World Order. Robert Pye challenges the conventional with us on late lunch this afternoon. Robert, I just want to come back because I'm getting some comment. I want to come back to something we're talking about and we will we, we, we'll resume the competition, uh, the conversation where we left off there. Um, 
the banking crisis and, and, and all you saw and from your experience, they want to know, do you believe with all the restrictions that have been put in place in terms of borrowing and lending money and the way the Irish economy has recovered subsequently that this could happen again? Oh, it could easily happen again because the people who make the rules are the same people. They can change the rules anytime they they like. So uh, I think the scam that was set up in 08 over the period from 97 to 2008 was managed via London. I think the London banking system had a big role in it. It was managed from outside of Ireland using operators within Ireland. Um, I don't know whether they tried the same scam again, but you're facing into something much worse at the moment, and that is the world banking system itself is set to collapse. Now, that's not generally recognised, and you don't get the newspapers mentioning this. But ever since zero eight, because they never let the crisis play out naturally and solved it by creating money, the amount of money that they have created is staggering. Absolutely staggering. Um, when I began the research, the uh, national debt in the US are around seven trillion. It's now nearly three times that. Um, the G- debt GDP ratio for Japan. Now, bear in mind when you go over a hundred percent, it's very serious. They're two hundred and fifty percent. Two hundred and fifty percent. Now they're borrowing from their own people, but their own people are being ripped off. They don't know it yet. Okay, Uh, there's been a massive increase in the money supply and in printing in the EU, huge in the sterling area, Mm -hmm. uh, yuan and China, USA. I'd reckon between five and seven trillion is now needed every year to keep the system going, and that's what they're using to keep the markets up. The fundamentals for the markets are appalling, but they keep this thing going on the TV. You know, uh, the, the. the Dow went up so many yeah. points and all this. It's a bull market and it, has yeah, been It's for all years. garbage. It's just maintained by the money that they're printing. What and happens? the unemployment level in the States is colossal. But the official figures never reveal it. Yeah, because Trump will tell you that the economic signals and signs in America are very good. They're Employment. They're appalling. Uh, because the labour force excludes tens of millions of people. So come back to Ireland. We no, we're back to almost full employment. The economy has recovered with the highest growth uh, country in Europe yet again. Well, the, where the golden are child. We, where are we getting the money from? This is where you have to go back and ask yourself, what created the wealth here? Well, what created the wealth was the importation of industry from the US, which was being offshored. Okay, so we got IT, we got chemicals, we got pharmaceuticals, and a few other bits and pieces. For a small island, that was a colossal transfer of wealth. They also make a point of running their taxation through Ireland, so they paid the tax here at a much lower rate than they would if they were paying it into the US. So we got the benefit of the carve-up of the US, and we're still getting that benefit. The other part of the carve-up, of course, was to take half of the industry out of the US and give it to China, Marxist China. This is the country that's going to make war with them soon. So the industry in the US has been run down. They're in a very, very serious situation there. What happens if... if 
it comes to pass what you say. If the World Bank well, the, did collapse. Yeah, they are. They, I'm not the only person who's saying this. There are commentators on the net who are saying this. And what I'd like people to understand is why, why it hasn't happened yet. They could do it any time they want. But they need to do it in such a way that everybody blames the wrong source. So they blame Brexit. So they blame the clown Trump for the tariffs against China. And I think they will soon be blaming Trump for going into Iran. They, They are setting these up and they are the things that will take the blame for the collapse when it comes. But you are not being told that. You are not being told that it's really the absolute mismanagement of the world's central banking system. If you're listening to you today, and people are, you'd have to be really concerned or worried for the future of humanity. Yes. Well, I mean, if you look at the 20th century, which is basically the century of Marxism, Marxism is still working. That's one of the main tools they're using to twist people's minds. And Marxist regimes, plus the fascists, they managed to kill about 200 million or more people. Now, that is staggering. Now, they've no problem killing people. Understand that. If you think of a psychopathic group, they are a psychopathic group. So big wars don't bother them. That's money and power. Now, you ought to be worried because anybody who studied the Bible, and people don't do this today. They don't do this. They've no fear of God. It doesn't occur to them that there's a God in heaven who's made this world, you know. And he did, the book of Revelation sets out a scenario where shows things go way off the deep end. But before they go way off the deep end, they start going way off in a more general sense. And that's where we are at the moment. The book of Revelation, it's a fantastic account of what will happen. Now, the various other prophecies in the Bible relating to events that have taken place were bang on. People have no fear of God, but if they had, they read, read the Bible, they would see this is coming. And basically, it's hard for people to get their heads around this because they never thought in terms of an enemy, Satan. You know, it doesn't occur to them that this being exists. But the global elite, these ultra-rich people, serve him. Okay. These are the Harry Potter people. These are the people who give you Harry Potter books to give to your kids. They're into witchcraft. They're into the occult. They're into Kabbalah. That's their scene, okay? And they hate the God of the Bible. They hate Christianity. The most persecuted group on earth today, by far, Christians. And that will get worse. They are trying to shut us up too. Mm. Very hard for somebody like me to say what I'm saying now in five years' time. Mm. I may have some kind of hate speech charge or something. But are you seriously saying that that Harry Potter, like that's been a phenomenal success that children love to read? People who were in witchcraft and came out of it have declared the Harry Potter books, especially after book three are a foundation course in witchcraft. Even though that was a woman who wrote those books. Doesn't matter you know what who I mean? had, she who had written Not them. probably under the influence of anybody who well, wrote them in good faith who, for an entertainment, for, you know. Look at the content. 
Now, don't look at personalities. You know, this is why I didn't want to get into the Gates yes. business and I don't get it, want to get into the J.R. Rowling mm. business either. Yeah, because she's a... Don't look at who's... individuals. Look at what's happening. And what is happening is millions of children have absorbed magical concepts and interpret the world around them in terms of magical concepts. So there would be as much, against as against the rationality that existed from the biblical worldview that prevailed in the West up to about 1980, and has been rapidly eroded through the use of various magical philosophies, through the use of the internet, porn. Porn does immense damage, immense damage, because it weakens your ability to reason in a moral sense your faculty to discern between right and wrong, between good and evil, gets a hammering. And and I think everybody would agree with you on, on that one. But while you're on the internet, we just have a minute before we break for news. Is, is the World Wide Web this thing that's engulfed millions and billions of people's lives and networks them on this planet? Is this part of this well, whole... it's only a network, but those who have set it up have set it up as a mind control device, a public opinion control device. They can control what's on it. They could turn off the porn switch in the morning. Has any government in the world called to turn off the porn switch? No. So what does that say to you? That says that these governments are quite happy to leave it there. Why? It's rotting the minds of people. And you can control people whose minds Robert Pye is with us on Late Lunch. Some questions from listeners uh, for you, Robert. A listener wants to know, have you ever been to the Antarctic or Greenland? Did you not notice that the summers are getting longer and that animals are becoming extinct uh, out there? Um, I don't think the flora and fauna are actually affected by what is happening. There are natural variations. When uh, the Danes and uh, people from Norway went to Iceland and over to Greenland around 1200. Conditions there were much better than they are today, much warmer. They actually had farms. But eventually, around 1500, 1600, it became too cold. So there are natural climatic variations. What about batteries? Uh, sorry, should I say, what about electric cars, Robert? Are you saying that electric cars are worse for the environment? Think about it. How do you charge up the battery? Electricity. Where do you get it? From the electricity generation company. Where do they get it? Oil. You know, would would people wake up? <laughs> I mean, it's just comical, the kind of garbage people believe. Oil is the main source of energy in any environment, unless they come up with some other way of generating power. But batteries are not the answer. Batteries are about controlling people. What do you mean by that? They will have digitally remotely controlled cars. People in the future, they will find, they won't own the car. Everybody will be renting. Under the social credit system that they're operating in China, you behave yourself, you have enough social credit points, you get the car. Are you getting the picture? Control. Do you honestly believe that will extend to Western society? Yes, the society? social credit system they're operating in China, that's, they're setting that up. 
Now, I don't know whether your listeners know what the social credit system is. It's basically, in China at the moment, there are about 600 million on the internet. Okay, regular users, social media users, laptop users, iPod users, and so on. They are conducting a vast amount of their own business and their affairs online. All of this can be tracked. To the degree that they are engaging in behaviour that matches the behaviour the government wants, they get social credit points. To the degree that they depart from what the government wants, going in, looking in websites that the government doesn't want you, you lose social credit points. If you then next year go along to your local airline company and say, I want to fly from Shanghai to Beijing, and they say, sorry, we can't sell it to you. You don't have enough social credit points. Social control. They are conditioning people to behave the way they want them to behave. We will have it here. The very fact that they speak about a carbon foot footprint means they're getting down to the level of the individual and how the individual behaves. And they will soon, or sometime, I don't know how, how soon, but they'll get to the point where they'll say, you're 85, you've consumed so much of the Earth's resources. We can't afford to keep you alive anymore. It's not fair on everybody else. Take the pill. Euthanasia. Euthanasia. Well, we're all already at it when it comes to childbirth. We're killing unborn children. You refer to the passing of the abortion yes. bill in Ireland last year. But, Robert, that's seen as progressive, as is, you know, in a, in uh, the a, marriage equality, you know, that sure. Ireland is coming of age, that we've been in the dark ages for so long. Uh, that's all just Marxist philosophy. The Marxists reject God, they reject the natural order. They say man should decide what is right and what is wrong. It gets to the old battle I mentioned to you earlier, that there are on this earth those who believe God makes the rules and there are those on this earth who utterly reject God and they say they make the rules. Well, at the moment, the Marxists are running the media, they're running the government and they're running the world banking system and they are deciding who lives and who dies. Last year, they got the very foolish people of Ireland to do something that was absolutely appalling, to kill some of their own kids. Now, all of those kids could be adopted, all of them. You didn't have to kill any of them. But they'll say to you, you know, that this is a woman's right. You know, that a woman has a right to choose. They don't, we have rights. We don't have a right to kill people. What about children who are diagnosed with abnormalities in the womb? Is it right to bring that child into the world? They'll say, what about in the case of rape? We could discuss that at length. 98% of the people who are the little kids who are being killed are healthy, natural children. And Ireland did something appalling. And I've, I have absolutely no doubt... We will be judged for this. Ireland as a nation, we went too far. No country has ever done that before. Any other country that's brought in abortion has had it imposed on them by their government. But Ireland did something unique and did it twice. But is that not more democratic to allow the people to decide rather than an imposition? But it depends on what you actually decide. All these people who put the little X in the yes box and all the people who refuse to come along and put an X in the no box, they all have blood on their hands because they, are held, they will be held accountable. I don't like saying this, but nobody seems to go on the media and say this. You will 
be held to account. And Ireland will be held to account. Cannabis is the next discussion. Cannabis, yes. They're heading there. They're, they're liberalising it in the States because they want brain-dead zombies. And there are various ways of getting brain-dead zombies. You can get people to watch 20 hours at Netflix a week. You can get people to watch porn, bur- burn their brains out. And you can then get them drunk. You can get them hooked on opioids. You can get them hooked on cocaine. And now in the States, they're getting them hooked on cannabis, which creates all kinds of mental problems. And I imagine it won't be long before they, they will do it here. They'll come bring it in under some phony pretext, phony medical pretext. But really, most of the people will be using it for what they call recreational purposes. Time is going to beat us. Before you go, I have to ask you this. When, I, when we listen to all you have to say there, you'd have to despair as to the future of this country, its people, to Europe, to the world, to mankind. Is there any way we can book the trend? Well, the people running the show are taking advantage of the fact that nobody wants to accept that message. They want to be happy. They want to pretend things are fine. They don't want to look ahead. They have a term for it, actually, cognitive dissonance. It's where you can't face reality, so you accept a manufactured reality, and you can deal with it. You feel comfortable with it. You live from day to day with it. That works best with people who have been turned into zombies, people that, you know, the Netflix, cocaine, porn adult people. And they, people will not look ahead. It's very hard to get people to reason 10, 20 years ahead. I ask people, where will you be in 50 years' time? And they'll say, probably in my grave. And then I say, well, what are your plans? Huh? Is nobody thinking outside the box? People have to start thinking because things are happening very quickly. And we've seen in the last seven or eight years, I mean, we have wrecked marriage. We've reduced marriage to a contract between two homosexual people. Now, in the eyes of God, what we've done was just appalling. I'm not judging the homosexual people. I'm saying something very valuable and precious has been smashed. That's wrong. People are not thinking this through. We will be held to account. Now, if you're one of those people who thinks there's no God in heaven, you can do what you like. I'm not one of those people. There is a God in heaven. We can't do what we like. There is a moral order. And we really need to observe it. The Ten Commandments are ten rules for living a happy life. Robert, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you again for joining me on the show. You are a thought-provoking man, I have to say that, and you stood up for your principles and you paid the price and you continue to talk about what you truly believe in. And I thank you for joining me on Late Lunch again today and doing just that. Until the next time, Robert Pye, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jerry. Shania Twain on Late Lunch this Monday afternoon. That don't impress me much. Well, I can tell you, Robert 
Pie has certainly impressed and maybe not impressed a lot of people as well but that's it that's the way it is one man's meat is another's poison um, that man said Jerry decides in this day and age a woman has the right to decide about what she wants as a listener uh, Jerry where did you resurrect that man from you have on your show right now you should be challenging him on his views vigorously if this God he speaks about is so good why is there so much suffering in the world uh, this takes the biscuit says John in Denor. Uh, thank you indeed for your views, John. Another one there saying, my God, Jerry, that man speaks the truth. He certainly does. Uh, delighted you have to have him on your show this afternoon. See, that's the views. You know what I mean? Some people like, some people don't like, but everyone is entitled to their views. You, The trouble I think today is that there is a view... And it's rammed down your throat by different groups and people and you're expected to accept that. And I think that is the problem in the world today, in Ireland and the world today. You can't have an opinion, but people are entitled to their opinions and entitled to air them as well. And that's what we try to do always here on Late Lunch. Now, let me tell you of a competition now for you this afternoon on the show. The town of Kells is set to come alive this coming weekend as the annual Hinterland Festival gets underway this Thursday. It has its usual broad mix of literature, art, history, politics and a whole host of children's events. I'm telling you, Kells is the place to be this coming weekend. And there's a top-class lineup for the festival, including John Boyne, Sinead Gleeson, Hugo Hamilton, Nick Hewer and Jim Fitzpatrick, to name but a few. And uh, you just check it out and see what's going on there. I have listened to this today and I have a prize each day from the Hinterland Festival. Thanks to SheridanInsurances.com, I have a pair of tickets to give away to see Nick Hewer who's probably best known as Alan Sugar's sidekick on The Apprentice. And he's in Kells this Friday. And we'll be talking to him on Late Lunch because Late Lunch is coming live from the hinterland this Friday. And I can't wait to meet Nick Cure. He's fantastic. Here's the question today. Would you like a pair of tickets to go and see him talk in Kells? What show does Nick Hewer present each afternoon on television? What show does Nick Hewer present each afternoon on television? I think it's on about now. Will I give you any more clues? No, I won't for the moment. What's the show he presents? The legendary show on Channel 4. Uh, yes, I gave you a little clue there. Answers to 086-1800-658. The show with your name and details. WhatsApp or text us your answer and we'll bring you a winner before the end of the show. And thanks to the Hinterland for those tickets. And we'll have more to give away on late lunch each day this week. Now, Carneros National School have gone viral for an amazing video they've uh, put together for Down Syndrome Day. And we're going to talk about it now because I'm joined on, on the line by one of the teachers from the school, Helen Sherlock. And we'll be talking in a moment to special needs assistant, Philomena, Philomena Davis. Helen, good afternoon to you first. How are you? I'm great, Jerry. How are you? I am very good. Thanks for taking our call. Well, my oh my, I can tell you, have you impressed us guys in here with this? Tell us the story. Oh, well, the story is uh, we have a very special girl here um, as part of our school. Her name is Emily and Emily has Down syndrome and she's been with us since uh, infants and she's in fourth class now. And um, when Emily was in first class, um, we were joined here in the staff by a very special SNA and that's Philomena Davis. And uh, that year, Philomena and Emily's uh, class teacher, Liz Maloney, decided that they were going to do uh, the HB Ice Cream Fun Day. And as part of that, to celebrate the day, um, they organised a flash mob and funk. Started off with first class and everybody joined in and it was super fun. So it kind of snowballed from there. 
the following year there was another performance and the next year we did we incorporated the law of sign language with fight song and then that brought us up to this year so this year Philomena and I were talking about what we would do and we decided that we would get our choir because we love music here and we have a fabulous choir that we would uh, teach them the song True Colours we loved the words and we thought they were just perfect for the day and uh, Philomena who does love sign language with Emily because Emily had communication needs when she came here. Now, she doesn't use love as much now, but uh, we decided that we would use uh, the law of sign language just to... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Express the meaning of... Um of the song True Colours and uh, so that's kind of where it came from and then we decided to do a little bit of art and you know this time of the year when the books are put away it's lovely to do something different and it was just an ideal opportunity to support Down Syndrome Ireland and to celebrate Emily and to get every child in the school involved and so um, so along the way then um, Emily's brother Callum uh, was in on a separate project you know he's left our school a few years and uh, we were explaining to Callum, you know, what we were doing for the ice cream day and about, um, you know, putting together this rainbow uh, with 165 handprints making up all the children from the school. And Callum suggested that he would photograph every child individually. And he had an app on his iPad and he would kind of do a time lapse that could speed up the process and that we could incorporate it into the video, which we thought was a fantastic idea. And then Callum, Emily's brother again, took another step to say he would video the whole thing, and which he did on a Friday, and went home for the weekend and put everything together and ended up with the finished product, which everybody's been looking at on Facebook. And has marvellous. It is simply marvellous. And we're going to hear it now in a minute so as listeners can understand what, what this is about. So how many ch- uh, children were involved altogether? Altogether, 165 children, from the smallest junior infant right up to our biggest sixth class. Everybody so, at the school involved absolutely. had and an Emily input. in the middle and just central to everything. And uh, so, yeah, it was great. Did it, it take great. many days to do it? 
No, not at all. Um, you know, we started uh, teaching the song on a Friday afternoon. The kids are great. They pick up their songs and their harmonies so quickly. And uh, we had that taught in less than an hour. And then on Monday, we came in and started on um, on the painting. The painting was done on Calico and I painted the background on uh, Tuesday, we recorded the music in a classroom and uh, then on Wednesday we finished all the painting and um, I think it was on Thursday then uh, we just recorded all the children singing and some of the children going down doing their law of sign language and uh, then Callum went off and worked his magic over the weekends and so like it didn't take long at all. No, no, fantastic. Well done, congratulations to you. Put Philomene on for a moment there. of course. Thanks a million and well done to you. Well done Helen, that's Helen Sherlock there uh, from Carnaross National School and on the line now is Philomena Davis. Hello Philomena. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Sign language, is it difficult to teach and difficult to take up for the person learning and children or are they fast adapters? They're fast adapting at it. Um, Love Sign Language is uh, basically a system for children and adults with intellectual disabilities and communication needs. So the gestures are quite grand and bold. Mm. So it's quite easy for the children to pick up the signs because they would be familiar with it um, as I would sign um, occasionally with Emily in the school and the children in her class they always they're always keen to learn it so they kind of know the signs from going through the school years with Emily anyway so it's it's quite easy for them to pick it up and 168 so do all the children 165 I beg your pardon involved in this in their time do all children come into contact with this in the school oh yes they would yeah yeah it's total inclusion in the school so any sign language we do, we'd have we'd have in each class we would have signs up for like yeah. hello or goodbye, and so the children are aware of law of sign language from the moment they come into the school. Yes, yes, and for Emily and anyone else uh, who would be at the school who who needs assistance or uh, help with communication, they they must feel really part of everything. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, like Emily, she's like she's a great kid to have in the school. She's just full of personality and is just up for a great crack. So she will interact with absolutely anybody she come in contact with. So it's it's great for her because, it, like I said, it's complete inclusion. She is just like any other child in the school. There's zero difference from Emily to any other child because that's the way all the kids in the school see it. OK, so and it's love signing, you call it. That's the word. Love yeah. sign language, yeah. yes. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Uh, it's a great thing to give to children as well, to take with them, isn't it? It is, because it, it, it's... It makes the, you know, having Emily in the school and teaching law of sign language is fantastic because it's such a benefit to all the children in the school because it makes them more aware of everybody's needs and it, it shows such a kindness in all the children the way they just accept Emily and law of sign language and they just love to do it because of that. Mm. So it's all come together wonderfully and you're getting thousands upon thousands of hits online on, on this and we want to give it another hit now on late lunch this afternoon. Yeah. Again, Philomena, well done to you. It's Thank fantastic. You so it's really great and I admire the teachers and yourself and everybody involved at Karen Ross National School. Are you all for the holidays yet? When is the break? Oh, Wednesday, we're off on Wednesday. Ah, <laughs> well, you go for the summer then and enjoy yourselves. But on the way into the summer break, we want to play this one on Late Lunch today. The song you've chosen to remind us again is, Philomena? Uh, true Colours. It's brilliant, it really is. And you've shown your true colours. Congratulations to one and all. And here it is. Thank you for joining Thank me you, today. Sorry. Thank you. Take, Take care, care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda today. Some more of your comments regarding Robert Poy. Jerry, thank you so much for allowing that man speak on your show. Too often, views like his are not allowed onto the airwaves. Dangerous rhetoric, says Nicola from Robert. We're all being controlled by Netflix. Please, the country voted overwhelmingly to let women have a choice on abortion services. How dare this man tell us we will be judged by God? Well, that's his view, Nicola. That's what he believes. And uh, he's only expressing his view. But you go on to say, old-fashioned and hard to listen to. I was enjoying his theories on banking when he veered off into keeping women in the dark ages. On electric cars, 100% of my electricity comes from renewable wind. So that's how it's green. Thanks indeed, Nicola, for your comment this afternoon and more besides we're getting. Uh, Now listen to this for a scenario. Uh, Your mother is a widow. You only discover this after years who has a relationship with a man of which you are born back in the Ireland of the night. 1950s. Marie Therese Rogers Maloney arrived into this world under a veil of secrecy and was entrusted into the care of others who didn't care for her at all. This book was first published in 2014. It's called For the Sins of My Mother. It's been reprinted printed on several occasions since and people are still interested in this story and why wouldn't they be? And the author is, uh, herself is on the line. Marie Therese, thank you for joining me. Hello there, how are you? I'm very good, thanks for taking our call this afternoon. I got the book, I have to say at times, harrowing to read, but inspirational running through this book from the first page to the end. Congratulations on it. Can you tell me why you feel it's still selling, it's been reprinted and the story still appeals? Is it that it's just that special? Well, to me it's special and also to the girls that were in... Nazareth House Orphanage with me. We're all now in our late 60s uh, and it is very special. And I wrote it because I'd taken a journey of discovery and that journey took me down to the south of Ireland. Um, Obviously, uh, the Belfast accent, you can tell. Uh, So I grew up in Nazareth House in Belfast. Never knowing who I was, I had a number. We were all allocated numbers. I was 51. Uh, and when I got older, I had this inner determination. By God, I was going to find out who I was, and I did. And that was the journey I took, Jerry. How long was it before you actually found out? What age were you, Marie Therese? Oh, God, I was in my late 30s. So you didn't uh, know we till you were heading for the, the big birthday at 40 almost who you were, where you came from, or who your breed and stock was? Nothing. I knew absolutely nothing. I remember one time as a child uh, in the orphanage, um, a little girl's granny and grandfather used to come and see her and he gave her sweets. And it was her birthday and I said to a nun, oh, when's my birthday? And she said, February. And I thought the whole of February was my birthday. And then I said, oh, where's my mommy? And she said, don't be silly, you haven't a mommy. And yet the same person wrote to me when I'm 37 and she said, your mother's in Letterkenny Hospital. And I thought, oh, my God. But, Jerry, I have to go back, if I may. Yes, go. When I left Nazareth, um, I was a very naive, innocent orphan, let's say. Uh, very backward, very shy, and very introverted. And I worked in a factory. And a lady 
came to see me in the factory, and that lady was a solicitor who was sent by my mother to keep me quiet. Now, that broke me. But she did me a favour because I took a nervous breakdown after it. And during the nervous breakdown, as you can imagine, I decided, well, by God, I'll find out who you are. And that was why I was determined, Jerry. I needed to know. Every person needs to know who they are mm. and where they come from. You've got that inner, you know, nature in you to find out where your roots lie. Who am I like? I would walk down the street and think, God, I wonder am I like somebody? Mm. I wonder do I have a disease if they have or a medical condition? But I never got any answers. And by God, I found the answers out on my own. I did it on my own. And that took over, oh, many, many years. And I, I started taking little notes down as I journeyed. And then I found out my mother was a hotel owner in Donegal. And you know who she is at this stage. And actually, when you found out, uh, even though she'd sent that person to suppress you and all the information about you and her in case, when you did discover who she was, she was in a home and her mind was gone. She was actually very sadly, Jerry, and as I hate to say it, and I'm angry about it in many respects, the same order of nuns that looked after me in the orphanage looked after her when she started to develop dementia. Mm. Uh, and then when she be- became beyond any form of communication, she was transferred to Letterkenny Hospital. And that is why the nun wrote to me. I couldn't understand how she knew, but I later discovered from the families that I met, I met both of them, that she had developed severe dementia and she was in Letterkenny. Yes, I did go to see her, uh, Jerry, but I wouldn't want to ruin the book. Uh, I, I think it's important that people yes. learn from the book. Mm. I wrote it simply. I didn't put fancy words in. And, you know, there's a story behind everybody. There is, and that story we need to know, and you found it out. Now, subsequently to finding out who your mum was and her circumstances, I did mention in the introduction she was a widow at the time, she was a businesswoman, Uh, she met this man, you were born of that as well. Have you any other brothers or sisters? Yes, I do. I have uh, brothers and sisters on both sides. I was actually the firstborn on my father's side, and he went on to have eight children. But, Jerry, he was a single man. And he told his wife, whom he met in England, that he had a little baby girl. But very sadly, my mother told him I was adopted. And then he had no say in those days. He Mm. just got on with his life. And yes, I was adopted just for 14 months and taken off the family and put back into the orphanage. And on the other side, are many children on the other side? There were four or five, and they were all at boarding schools. My a brother on my mother's side, he went to Blackrock, and the others went to, I don't know, some convent school. Have you reconnected with everybody at this stage? My mother's side, <clears throat> very conservative. Mm. My father's side, absolutely super. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they've been super. And I've learnt a lot. Sadly, it's a bit late, but still, never better late than never, Jerry. I I, I found them and I set out to find them. And that was my aim. And I'm satisfied. I'm I'm very satisfied with what I did. Um, There was many a night of tears. There was many a night of sweat, thinking, oh my God, down south, how will I get to wherever? Because being in Belfast, stuck in behind an orphanage for 17 and a half years, that was tough in itself. 
I hate the place. But to go on this journey to find out, God, you've got a mother, you have a father, a father. Oh my God, you have brothers and sisters. That's hard. That's mm. hard. Nazareth House. When I mention those two words, yes, send shudders down. I'm sure an awful lot of people's spines because. The stories that emanated from it, including yours, are not yes. nice. Now, you do say in the book that there were some of the nuns there were kind and caring, but the others on the other side. Yes, there were there were kind nuns. There was a lady in the kitchen. I didn't have much dealings. I was only fit to uh, peel potatoes. I was only fit to do all the cleaning, as were all of us. We spent most of our time scrubbing, waxing, polishing and praying. And there were a few good nuns, but very... Unfortunately, I met three bad eggs, three very bad eggs who should never have been representing God. I'm not overly religious. I didn't lose my faith. But they should never have wore a habit to represent a man who was our God. But they did. And they became so frustrated, Jerry. They must have been put into the convent as little girls. Do you know the old saying, my daughter's a nun, Mm. my son is a priest? Mm. So what? Yes, children were recruited for the religious orders. I remember them coming to my school when we were only kids and, yeah. and, and, and trying to get, get, get people to sign up. Come back to that point again. Do you have, can you have, do you have faith in God despite everything that happened to you? Um, you know, the God we prayed to, we prayed every day, went to Mass every day if we weren't cleaning and scrubbing or if we weren't getting beat for the silliest of things. All our food was eaten in silence. Yes, now, as an adult, I pray to a different God. Mm. It may not make sense to your listeners, but the God that I pray to as a child, oh my God, I hated him. I used to look up at the altar and think, God, I don't like you, you're not doing anything for me. I did a lot of thinking because I was classed as educationally subnormal, but I still sucked everything up like a sponge. Um, And I didn't like him. So in answer to your question... I haven't lost my faith. Mm. No. You, you, you left, you spent over 17 years there. Was it just a natural occurrence that you reached an age that you went to the place uh, closed? What happened? How did you get away? Oh, <laughs> Jerry, there were too many of us. There was about 120 girls and uh, there were far too many to feed. Uh, so we, the older ones, were just pushed out into service. I went to work for a family that had like a little guest house uh, and I was a skivvy, you know, the, the word skivvy. Mm. Uh, and I was there for three months and, and, and I was shattered. I, I was working from about half five to the dark of night and I thought, I'm out of here. And I walked the streets. And I eventually found uh, the older girls were living in a flat. And I went back to the orphanage and I simply went back because I was starving. And I stayed there and looked after the young ones. And then I was pushed out again to go into, they used to talk about lodgings. Yeah. And that was another life of hell. But the book will tell you more about that. Oh, absolutely. And indeed, and it will. But look, the good news is that you picked yourself up and you marched forward and you qualified as a nurse and you became a carer to many, many others. And your life, the brightness came into your life and you've written this wonderful book. Yes, and that book took over 20 years to write, Jerry, because I, I mentioned there that I was educationally subnormal. Such a silly word. But anyway, and I was sent away to a special school. I left school with no O-levels, and I wrote that book. And I wanted to prove to the nuns that I wasn't backward. In actual fact, 
I should have been proving to myself. And I wrote it on behalf of all the girls that went through that awful, awful, rotten establishment. And we were treated like dirt. Bathe in Jay's fluid. Call your number out when you're going to be dipped like sheep. God, how bad is that? It's shocking, and uh, I have read the book, and it does leave its mark on you. But on the other hand, I say again that it's inspirational, and you are inspirational. I have to leave it there today. I'm going to recommend it to people. It's called For the Sins of My Mother by Marie Therese Rogers Maloney. And it's gone through, I don't know how many reprints, and it's out there again. My word, I ain't a bit surprised at that. Look, congratulations to you, and I'm delighted to give your story a little airing here on Late Lunch today. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you very can much I tell for joining. Where it can be got. Yes. It can be got at Amazon. Yep. And it can be got in Eason's, Waterstones, or the publishers themselves, Colour Point Books of Newton Arts. Great stuff. It's widely available. And again, congratulations, Marie Therese. Thank you, Thank you for joining Thank me. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me on the Thank show. You. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. For the sins of my mother. Would you like the book? I've read it. It's. Heartbreaking at times, but inspirational as well. You can have a copy if you'd like it today. All you have to do is tell me what is the Irish word for mother. The Irish word for mother to 086 658 with your name and details, WhatsApp or text. Sad news reaching us on the sporting front today. Many, many people will remember him. Kevin Gus Lenehan. He played on the Meath All-Ireland winning team in 1954. Well, Kevin passed away earlier today. And I remember myself interviewing Kevin for a series called Local Heroes of Sport, uh, Local Legends of Sport, many moons ago. And I'll have to dig that out for you and we'll uh, uh, replay it again and put it up as a podcast. But joining me on the line is a man who knew him well, our own Brendan Cummins. Afternoon, Brendan. Good afternoon, Terry. Uh, Brendan, he was a he, he was one great man, wasn't he? Yes, he was a lovely man. He was a really gentleman, Kevin, and of course he had a special place in media folklore with his uh, performances in the uh, heading towards the All Ireland final success in 1954. It was only me, second All Ireland, and he formed a very formidable half back line along with uh, Jim Riley from Dunboyne and uh, Nezar Dunn from Dunamore. Uh, it was yeah, it was uh, really a last hurrah for a lot of the, that uh, that team from 1947 to 1954. Uh, but uh, Kevin was one of the newcomers in 1954. Those four or five newcomers brought in. They were beaten in the 1952 All Ireland uh, after a replay, and there was uh, there were a number of changes made for the 1954 campaign. But basically, apart from Kevin and Michal Grace and. Uh, likes of Tom Moriarty, who scored the goal in the All-Ireland final. It was much the same team that had uh, many of the same team who won All-Ireland medals in 1949, and indeed Leinster medals in 1947 were still there. But it was a good... Kevin was right half-back on the team, and the league man, uh, later, of course, involved with the St. Pat's club and St. Mullen. But um, he, he, it was a terrific victory against Kerry in the All-Ireland final in 1954 because Mead were ranked outsiders that were considered to be very much an ageing team. Kerry were the All-Ireland champions as well. And Mead, in the end, had a, even though they were a point behind at half-time, had a very comfortable victory over, over them. And uh, Kevin played his part in that. He kept his, his man, Paddy Sheehy. He was marking Paddy Sheehy, a uh, famous Kerry name. And uh, he held him scoreless uh, for, for the hour as well. So... 
a great contribution to me, uh, All Ireland's success in 1954 by Kevin. And Brendan, uh, up until recent years, he had such a, a great interest in the fortunes of Mead and club football in Mead as well. He was a regular at club games and he followed it intensely. He did. Uh, yeah, dead right there, Jerry. because some people don't, you know, some people don't, especially as the years go by, they don't. But uh, he wouldn't miss the St. Pat's game. And uh, it was only in Ashbourne last year. I was, uh, I was just saying it to myself on the way in. I was talking to three All-Ireland medalists from the St. Pat's club himself and Red Collier, who used to uh, be with at the games. Uh, Red from the 1967 team and Cormac Sullivan then later on as well. So they, they do that in St. Pat's. That's one thing they do. No matter what All-Ireland medals to win or any honours to win, they still support their club. And Kevin uh, certainly led the way in that and provided the example for that. He's left a perfect legacy, really, for the St. Pat's club. He was a genuine, genuine uh, club supporter as well as well as being a great meat supporter and of course a great meat player as well Yes and he always loved to talk football any time you met him and I wonder like he's passed now and we remember him today yesterday's game well Brendan what do you say you were there yourself and saw it unfolding they gave a good account of themselves defensively for a time in the game but they missed some key scores and looking ahead to the qualifiers will they pick themselves up? Yeah, well, that's the challenge now. It's, it's very difficult to pick yourself up after only scoring four. I think that's the big thing yesterday, that they only, the big uh, negative from yesterday was that they only scored four points. There were certainly, uh, the, the, the defence, as you say, played very, very well in the first half, restricting Dublin to just five points in that first half. But maybe they expended a bit too much energy in that. And when you don't get the scores then, and it's hard to get scores against Dublin, it's hard to create the chances. We did create the chances, but didn't get the scores. And you could see the it, it was like a, a balloon puncturing in some ways when the, the, when they missed the opportunities, you know, to narrow the gap. The, the, the morale, the collective morale, on-field morale, seemed to go down a bit. But the opportunity is there to, to uh, you know, the draws made for the third round of qualifiers this morning. They will be there. They'll be playing almost certainly Saturday week. That's, that's the scheduled date for it. So, you know, you could get Mayo, the winners of the Mayo-Armagh game, you could get the winners of the Kildare-Tyrone game, or you could get the winners of Westmead and Clare. So you're still, you're, you're still there, and it is, you know, it, it's different than the old knockout championship. If, you could, if, if the knockout championship was there yesterday, you, you know, you have to wait 12 months to try and atone. Mm. But there is an immediate chance to, to atone for yesterday's performance, and... Uh, you know, that'll be, I think, something that Andy McEntee will use when, when the yeah. team meet up again. Absolutely, Brendan. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us today and paying that tribute uh, to Kevin Gus Lenehan, our Yeshe Goreva Anam. Thanks a million, Brendan. Yes, late lunch, LMFM Radio this Monday afternoon. Just to remind you, Sean O'Mahony's at uh, the Gaelic Football Club on the Keys in Dundalk are hosting the Paddy Cheshire Memorial 5K at 7 o'clock next Saturday, June 29th. And it's preceded by the juvenile-sponsored walk down the Navi Bank at half past four. There's a race registration and race number collection evening in the clubhouse happening this Thursday from 6 to 8pm. And €15 Euro secures the gig for you there. And I also want to mention that Dundalk Meals on Wheels are currently looking for volunteer cooks and drivers. Meals are cooked and delivered on Monday, Wednesday and Saturday and volunteers are needed to work on a rotor basis. It's a wonderful thing to volunteer for. If you're interested contact Dundalk Social Service Council on 042 933 or you can email them on dlksocialservicecouncil 
at outlook.ie Now for the sins of my mother the book today on late lunch by Marie Therese Rogers Maloney Jerry, I only caught the last few minutes of that lady's harrowing story my god hasn't the church and government of the past a lot to answer for says Thomas they do indeed copy of the book the answer I was looking for was water 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 the Irish word for mother and I'm sending the sins of my mother to Bernie Boyne in Trim this afternoon well done to you Bernie and everyone else who whatsapped and texted us in and Nick Hewer, yes presents Countdown on Channel 4 I'll be interviewing him on Friday at the uh, Hinterland Festival in Kells and I'm really looking forward to it and going along to Nick Hewer at the Hinterland on Friday is Thomas Clark well done to you we'll be in touch to make the arrangements late lunch final break of the afternoon on Monday coming your way and afterwards we'll be joined by Kate Gunn. She's an author and head of social media at everymum.ie and we're talking about sharenting what? Sharenting, yes, coming next on Late Lunch. She's a parenting blogger, freelance writer and a lady I've talked to before on the show, author, mum of three and a lady who believes that sharenting uh, can come back to haunt her children when they're older and she's on the line with me. Kate Gunn, good afternoon. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks very much for taking our call. Will you explain to me and listeners, what do you mean by sharenting? Uh, Well, it's not a term that I uh, created. Um, It just means sharing uh, online as a parent uh, pictures about your your children. Um, So it comes up every so often um, in the media, I suppose, because it applies to most parents. Um, that they would share pictures, you know, nowadays we would share pictures of our, our children online. So um, people have different viewpoints on that and uh, they share to, to different levels, I suppose. So it's always a, an open discussion as to, to what people believe is OK and not OK. So did you say you coined this phrase or it's a general phrase because you are head of social no, media at everymom.ie. So you're hearing this, are you? Yeah. Uh, I am, yeah. I mean, it's, it's no, it's been in the media okay. you know, worldwide for a few years okay. now. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, as, you know, head of social media, you kind of see different trends. Yes. I suppose one of the trends that we have seen is that, um, you know, when children are, are very young, and, and and this would apply to myself as well, you share everything and then there comes a point when your kids are saying to you, well, why are you sharing that about me? Mm. Um, and it, it, it comes back to you. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where the, the discussion and, and the article originally came from. Yes. So the thing is, it's about children as they grow up and they don't have to grow up mm. too many years that they say to mum or dad or the guardians, whoever's looking after them, hold on a minute, did you put that up there about me or did you put that up a few years ago? So really it's around embarrassment, Yes. It is, yeah. So I think when when they're younger, you know, you maybe have your 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 fears. I suppose are slightly different. It might be about like security or their digital footprint. Um, but as they become more self aware, um, they realise that these pictures are are out not so much in the public domain, but even if you're sharing privately with friends and family, other people will say to them, "Oh, I saw your picture," or you know, kids in school will say, oh, my mum showed me a picture of you on the beach or, or whatever it is. Mm. So they become more self-aware and then they come back to you and say, well, 
hey, what are you, what are you doing? Um, which, you know, it, it keeps us as parents in check, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, like when you think of the pre-digital era when you were shown old photographs of you when you were a child of that and you cringe at them, but now in the di- digital era, it's then out there to a much wider audience and is it that their friends or peers get at them away and, and this is where the difficulty is? Um, I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, a survey that we ran um, that that we're going to be publishing the results of this week um, showed that a huge amount, 74% um, of parents had changed their rules over time. So most had had shared a lot more when the children were little um, and then had pulled back on that. So, you know, we're the first generation of mums to, to, to be faced with this. And I think we're all learning all the time. Um, and as our children are, are growing up, you know, they're they're making us aware as much as we're making them aware mm. of things. But, you know, it's a natural instinct for parents. And I can talk as a grandparent here as well with my granddaughter. I love to mm. uh, maybe post a picture of her when she's with me or we're in the garden or we're doing things mm. together. Um, sharing privately, is that OK? Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I would have, of course, you know, uh, it kind of comes into two camps. Um, well, the public, the private, and then the, the not at all. Mm. Um, and the private sharing, you know, you would think that is totally fine. It's amongst friends, family, people that you know. But again, it's when the, the you know, say the kids go into school and then the school children are saying to each other, I saw a picture of you. So even though it's people that you know, it's a different kind. You know, it's not about safety. It's about yeah. embarrassment. Mm. Um, and they do get very embarrassed about things that you, that, that you don't think are embarrassing <laughs> yes. at all. Um, and, you know, you said as, as a grandparent posting pictures, that's a whole other can of worms. Of because, course. You know, parents will have their own rules. Then mm. friends and family can break them. Um, so it's, it's a difficult one. And I think we're all learning and, and navigating as we go along with it. What about asking permission? I know when they're small, you can't or that. But as they mm. grow up a little, are you really better saying to them, look, is it OK? Definitely. Um, you know, I would, uh, from from my own personal perspective, um, nowadays I would always, always ask. My, mine are 15, 12 and 10. Um, and sometimes they go, yeah, that's fine. And sometimes it's like, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. And I can't often see what the, the problem is. But they are very clear that, you know, they don't want that, that going out. Um, so you have to, yeah, I think they get to a certain point where, as I say, they're self-aware. Uh, for me, it was probably about when they were eight. For some, it's a lot younger. Um, but I think it's it's important to keep, you know, stopping and checking. And we tell our kids to, to think before you post online. And maybe that's a good lesson for us as well. Yeah, even though there's a lot of love and sentimentality involved and wanting Absolutely. people to share in the joy that you have and, and that these children bring. The other thing it brings us back to, I suppose, Kate, is a time where we actually printed a few pictures or snaps and mm-hmm. kept them for ourselves within our families. That's exactly it. And, you know, something I think we really need to get back to as well, because um, from my own personal perspective, I know that I've lost so many pictures um, on different, you know, cameras, phones, um, laptops, and they just, they've just they gone, you know, as, as the technology broke. I've lost the photos. Um, so uh, the social media is a good way of, of, of keeping track of those, I suppose. Uh, but I think it's really important that we start getting back to, to, to printing things out. Um, but I did hear from one uh, mum friend who, you know, when we were going through this whole discussion, and she said, you know, there's a flip side, and I would have absolutely loved to have had an online diary of what me and my mom and, and family got up to. So, you know, there is a nice side. It's not, it's not all 
bad and and again as i say people have to to make their own choices and and navigate this new online world that we have as parents yeah it's good to point it out though because down the road you just don't know and it's an evolving situation this that's going going Mm. to come into play in the year years ahead but i i just think of what we were talking about there and i saw it myself with my own children where we had photos up to a point and then this new era hit and then there seems to be a point where we disappeared off the planet <laughs> and we have nothing yeah, yeah. nothing in print, you know, nothing from those times, only digital images. I think it'll come back. I think the, you, the yeah. print will come back. Yeah, I do. Mm. And, and, you know, there's lots of places now that do like the canvas prints and things like that. Uh, but I think, um, you know, print, print definitely isn't dead and uh, people want to have those pictures hanging in the house and, and to flick through with, with kids as well, not just on, on the phone or the lost phone as it is with me half the time. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you save it to the iCloud or whatever storage is up there as well. And that's another even uh, different co- or a different conversation to have. Uh, the, the one thing I've done, I just to, to, to tell you myself, these last few years uh, from the penny dropped on this, I print an album each year of a selection of shots from the year gone by in family. And I think it's a nice mm-hmm. uh, pictorial record to have. And we love it. It's a lovely thing to do. And I, I think half of the problem is that we just don't have time to get organized. Mm. But we need kind of some sort of system in place where, you know, you keep the best pictures of the month or the year or whatever it is. And, and as you say, it becomes like a, an annual occurrence or something like that, that you get them printed off. Because at the moment, we've just got so many, we don't know where to start. Yeah, no, look, uh, good advice today on uh, sharing and people. It's worth considering what you say in terms of printing and having them to hold and cherish ourselves and being careful for down the road when issues may arise with those pictures from the past. Kate, love talking to you. Thank you so much for taking our call today. Thank you so much for having me on. Not at all. Take care of yourself. That's Kate Gunn there, author and head of social media at everymom.ie sharing. Louise, what about yourself? Are you a good one with the, with the, with the snaps or you're, you're a digital mom, aren't you? To be honest, I used to be very snap happy. I did. I'd put up pictures of the kids or whatever. But I haven't recently. Recent times, no. If I'd be telling a story about them or whatever, I'd do the story and that's it. I'd put but up no a meme pictures. or something. No and have pictures. you done that on purpose? You've made yeah. a decision? Yes. Because of what we were talking about there, thinking of perhaps the consequences. Well, other things as well. Like I remember I'd, I'd say name. I used to name one of my kids... I don't name them anymore either. I don't, I just say my two-year-old, whatever. Yes. But I used to name them and one of them came back and said, ma'am, you put that up on Facebook mm. or whatever. Obviously, one of the mums had shown the child, went back into the school and said, yes. and, and did embarrass them. So, yeah, no, put okay, a stop to so that. So you've, you've uh, seen this happen in, uh, in a practical sense in your own life. Yeah, do, do and you, you can say it when they come back, says, ma'am, why did you do that? And yeah. you began, well, it was a funny story. Yeah, but ma'am, like... Do you print photos? I was just saying I have to go back to printing you photos. You have to. And listeners, you really do. I'm telling you this. I've done it myself. Mm-hmm. I've told you about it, Louise. I have this album each year. I'll say it again. And I go through the year and I pick a selection of what has happened in our lives for the year gone past. And I print it year end. And everybody loves it. And I think it's something we need to do. No, you're definitely. That is a lovely idea, yeah. Mm, we need to I'm do desperate. it. I'm desperate. We need to do it. And and just don't have them on the phone and millions of them that are I- irrelevant. Get rid of the nonsense and have just you, keep... Have you many pictures up around your walls at home or anything? 
Many put them people, up around your house, like? No, Would well, you put up pictures around your house or just keep them in an album? We do have some from special occasions, but it's an album I do mm. each year. A little album, and they're physically printed in it, and you can go through the pages, and I suppose there's about... You can take your pick with these albums. There's some do 24, 36, 48, or whatever, but it gives a, a feel for the year and the family. You know, that That's type lovely. of... And, 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 really I, nice I, I love it. It is, and, and it's become part and parcel of every year. And I encourage everybody to do it, to print them and have them physically to hold as well, because there's nothing to beat them, to and be honest with you. And if social media closed down tomorrow, people would be left without photos. Absolutely. Anyway, let's finish with this song, because it sums up what we all are. We are young, stay young at heart. That's the important thing to do. Yes, it's We Are Young from Fun, leaving you with this one on Late Lunch this afternoon. Thanks for your company. See you tomorrow. Have one. Just across the bar, my seat's been taken by some sunglasses Asking about a scar, and I know I gave it to you months ago I know you're trying to forget But between the drinks and subtle things, the holes in my apologies You know, I'm trying hard to take it back So if by the time the bar closes and you feel like falling down I'll carry you home tonight We are young So let's set the world on fire We can go brighter than the sun Tonight We are young So Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.